Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Joshua Vole, who's the CEO of Mindstone. He's also the former CEO of Super Awesome, a company that was sold to Epic Games in a nine-figure deal. He's an entrepreneur at heart. He knows the journey of entrepreneurship and being a startup founder. We talk all about that and Mindstone in today's episode. You're going to love this episode. It actually was one of my favorites. I really enjoyed our chat, and you will enjoy it too. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. One of my favorite things about the podcast is having people on the show who haven't just run a business, but they've run multiple businesses. In fact, they've even maybe sold their business because they've made it to a point where it's so successful. Today, we have Joshua Vola on the podcast, and we're talking about his business, Mindstone, that he started uh, as the CEO of it. It's a business that focuses on getting people to learn faster, remember more, and get things done. And they do that by organizing, sharing, and taking notes on web pages, PDFs, videos, and podcasts. We're going to be talking more about Mindstone, but before that, I want to tell you also that he's formerly the founder, or the, excuse me, the co-founder and CTO of Super Awesome. It's a kids technology company that was acquired by Epic Games in the summer of 2020. We're going to be talking about the entrepreneurship journey, growing a business to the point where someone else actually wants to buy it, and really all things fun about running a business. Josh, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. And congratulations. I'm looking at the date here, 2020. I feel like it's everyone's dream to have a business that's successful enough that someone else wants it. And not only was your business super awesome bought, it was bought by Epic Games, which I want to say is famous. I, I know some parents say that they're infamous because it seems like their kids can't get off Fortnite, uh, but bought by a very notable company. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we had a, an interesting episode uh, where we tried to figure out which one of the two had the most awesome name, Epic or Super <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, if you can, I don't know what you can share, but um, if we can spend just a few minutes talking about your previous company, because I think people listening are intrigued by the idea of, okay, wait, how do you actually, it's hard enough to grow a business, but you grew it to the point where a very important company or, or a well-known brand said, hey, I like what you're doing. I want to buy that from you. How did you do it? <laughs> no, 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 not a question. So first off, it took a quite a while. So it was about seven, just over seven years in. Um, and we were a little bit ahead of our time. So I must say the first five years of the company were probably a little bit of an uphill struggle. And then suddenly things started to click and mm. to, to put that in, in perspective, right? So we, we were trying to build a safer internet for kids. 
And a lot of that was in relation to complying with, with regulations around the world. So there are different regulations in, in the US, in Europe, uh, other parts of the world where when you collect data from kids and when kids are on the internet, there are specific rules to adhere to. It's not a very sexy subject. <laughs> uh, and so we built a bunch of tech to help people deal with that. But the reality is that it took basically Cambridge Analytica and Edward Snowden happening approximately at the same time. And there was this massive mindset shift where suddenly not just companies, but actually anyone um, that you talk to would take privacy seriously. Right. And once that shift had happened, once people had thought about privacy, then suddenly it's like, well, surely we at least have to make sure the kids are safe. Mm -hmm. And so we went through this interesting acceleration phase where um, the subject of privacy became more and more important and safety of kids became more and more important. And then, of course, with um, companies that wanted to make sure they were at the forefront of that safety of kids online when they have properties that might be exposed to kids as they, they play their games and so on, um, the tech that we built to try and deal with that became really appealing. Mm. Yeah. And this is interesting because um, it's interesting how like the timing of it can really play to the advantage of your business and not to take anything away from, you know, your own expertise and what you and your co-founder did to run super awesome. But I was talking to someone a while back who said, you know, what's like one of the most under um, appreciated elements of running a successful business. And I said, well, being lucky. She's like, well, that's not a very sexy answer. And I was like, no, but it, it seems like you almost have to grind long enough so that that moment can, the right place, right time can come about. Um, what's your take on that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Is, is luck a factor in, in running a business? Oh, I, I absolutely think luck is a, is a really big factor. Um, I do think, however, that you have some agency over it totally so uh, I, I forgot who said this but this is like a, a, a saying in my mind for ever which is basically luck favors the prepared mind um and like a friend of mine actually was it last week was telling me she's she's gone through a really interesting story just basically the person with the most grit i know in the world and she her her motto was don't die. <laughs> and if you don't die as a company, at some point, you are going to have one of those luck events. If mm. you don't die long enough, if you stay alive long enough, then you will have more possible chance events that you can turn to your advantage. And so, so that is kind of where, where the grit meets the chance, the luck. It, it almost feels like that's where the value is in playing the long game, um, especially like from like a sales or like networking relationship building perspective, is that a lot of times we're thinking about how do I get money in my pocket tomorrow, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes, um, you know, I less than reputable people will really chase that dollar rather than thinking about their business a year from now or two years from now. 
you know, you're talking about this journey that you've been on. Um, you talked about it was a seven-year journey. The first five years were really challenging. This is interesting to me because what I've read on social media is that anyone can start a business and in 30 days, you'll be a multimillionaire. You know, it just, it, it's so easy. I mean, it, was your business broken? I mean, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> Yes, ours was entirely broken. Um, <laughs> obviously, if you were to follow our social media, you wouldn't necessarily get the glimpse of the actual first five years, though. <laughs> that's the that's that's one of the other things. Is it's very easy to rewrite history. Um, right. The the reality is that the way that the media works today, and this is actually a little bit of a problem in in my opinion, um, is is that. First, there's a specific type of story that people like to hear, um, just like you have make money quick schemes that somehow right. appeal to to, uh, to people very quickly, just because obviously there is an appeal to making a lot of money very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is that in most cases, it, the story just glosses over an enormous amount of work that happened behind the scenes. And the, the reason that, that this is actually a thing and that I think it's a problem is that even for the people inside these companies, uh, so we were probably one of the bigger successes in London over the last, last few years. And even inside it, realizing that you're in a company that's actually being successful is not as easy as it sounds because you are comparing yourself against all these stories that are coming out um, all across the world in different places. And, and it makes you actually feel like, well, actually, maybe we are not that successful or what does success right. really mean? And obviously, you don't see the hardship of those companies. You only right. see how quickly everything is growing. Um, do, you, do you think it's hard to be a new entrepreneur today? Or it's harder than maybe pre-social media? Because I do have people who listen to the podcast who... Maybe they want to start their business. Um, some of them have literally just started their business and they are being inundated with these stories of, um, and I've even had people uh, pull me aside and say, I'm really um, not just imposter syndrome, I'm feeling this incredible sense of um, my own failure because I'm seeing all these incredible success stories. Do you think it's harder today to be an entrepreneur than pre-social media? In a vacuum, if it's just about the exposure, I would agree with it. But overall, if you look at the, the picture, the startup ecosystem that exists today, the amount of people you can learn from, the amount of infrastructure around you to get help in the early stages, whether it is to raise mm. money or to, to have some of the apparatus around just administratively setting it up, all of that has become significantly easier. Uh, today you can start a business within a few hours right. and you can be up and running <laughs> and have something. So to say that it's harder now than it would have been like 20 years ago, I think is not, not really fair. Sure. Um, but in the vacuum of just the social exposure and the, the, the public nature of it, if you don't have the right information, information regimen or digest in a way, you don't put that through a good filter, then yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the values of this podcast is I keep having people like yourself on who have 
they've done it in the sense of grown a business um, to the point of profitability, sustainability, all of that, all of that. And I keep having people on who sell us, tell a similar story to yours of, hey, it took us five years. It took us seven years. I had a guy on who he said the average amount of time that it takes people in his industry was 10 years and it took him 15. <laughs> and so, and he's incredibly successful now. You wouldn't know that. But I guess when people get into entrepreneurship, it's not very sexy to, to tell them, hey, you're going to be grinding for not a few months, but for several years. Um, for your wife, I don't know if you've ever been in a nine to five job, but have you always been an entrepreneur? And if so, has she always been, this is just how life is, or I'm just curious about the support system because another thing that happens that I talk to people about is, Hey, I'm in this business, but my spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife or a partner is just uncomfortable at the length of time this is taking, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the length of, t- length of time it's taking. So however you want to tackle that very long question, feel free. Yeah. So I guess to start, um, I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, I actually started four companies before Super Awesome. They just never became anywhere near the the type of success that, that Super Awesome did. Um, so when I when I met my wife, she she kind of knew what she was getting into, even though there were ups and downs. There were kind of like periods where I would work more and others where I'd work a little bit less. And then Super Awesome was definitely the the pinnacle of that, I guess. The there were some periods where I would be traveling two weeks out of four, um, especially in the later years when we had proper international expansion. Um, that just became part of the job. Uh, but we we made it work through the fact that she really loves what she's doing. She does she does have a nine to five job, so the evenings became a little bit um, hard uh, when I wasn't there. Uh, but at the end of the day, we were both doing what we really love, and that worked. So, uh, yeah, actually, those are the two questions, I think, right? So my wife has been nothing but supportive uh, to the point that she was actually incentivizing me to do another one, which is what I'm working on now. So that, I think that's the ultimate proof that at least she was sure. happy with it. Well, let's talk about what you're working on now. You're the, you're the CEO of Mindstone. I'd love to to learn more about how did this next thing come about and uh, also give the opportunity to share a little bit more about what Mindstone is. So this was a very methodical play for me. The Basically, when I got to the point where um, I had some, some financial freedom um, through Super Awesome, it, the question in my head started to become, okay, well, what? If, if money wasn't part of the driver, what would I want to spend my time on? And to be fair, it was a hard question because at Super Awesome, we were already, we had a pretty decent mission. We were building a safer internet for kids. That was something I could get really excited about. Um, but I was trying to figure out, okay, if there was really, if I evaluated everything from the ground up, where would I want to do that? And I, I've always been very passionate about education. Um, mostly so because I think it has the biggest possible ripple effects. If you're able to help people learn better, it has ripple effects on every single other industry. It has hit ripple effects on a better healthcare system. It has ripple effects on anything that anyone wants to get better at, almost by 
by definition. And so I started investing in the in the space first, um, trying to sit down, basically give myself a an excuse to sit down with other founders and with other investors to understand what are other people trying to solve in this space and why and and what are the big themes uh, from an investment perspective that that people more knowledgeable than me are currently thinking about. And then after about a year and a half, there was a really good book that I read, which I would recommend anyone that's interested in in learning or just or getting more done. Um, there's a book called How We Learn by Benedict Carey that I would absolutely recommend. He basically distills hundreds of different studies into an easy to read book, an actual easy to read book. He's a New York Times science reporter. So it's it's not like science written, it's actually written in a way that you want to read it. Uh, but it talks about all the things that we know about how the brain works um, and how that relates to how we learn, but more importantly, how basically no one is aware of that, and that even within our education system, where you would have expected professionals to be applying those different techniques and those learnings, well, nine times out of 10, they are not. Uh, and then the result means that we are basically learning slower and remembering mm. less than what we could potentially be doing if only we had or we were applying those techniques. And so that was kind of a, a light bulb moment for me where I was like, okay, well, that's like, there was an information arbitrage in a way. Okay, well, if this is true, and there were hundreds of studies to prove it, and nobody knows it, then there is a business to create to help bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and then the last piece of the puzzle was kind of, I think it was a few months later when we started to put things together where I'm a developer at my core. I started computer science. I built the first websites and apps myself kind of going through. Even at Super Awesome, I actually, in the early days, coded some of the early parts up. But the as a developer, I'm very self-taught. So I taught, I taught myself most of what I needed to know through the internet. Now, that is something that in the in the engineering space is actually fairly common. People learn how to do those things themselves. But today we're at a point where there's so much information online, there's no reason you can't learn economics or physics or mathematics from content that's online. But it's much less common and it's it's hard to get going. If you are very self-motivated and you know your way around the internet properly, it's not a problem. But trying to bridge that gap, trying to bridge this enormous amount of information and see if we can take everything that's available online and somehow allow people to learn from that content at an accelerated pace um, was something that I started to get really excited about. And that's that's what we're trying. That's what the longer term mission is for us at um, at Mindstone. So how does the, what does the average user use Mindstone for? Like I have, I have the summary of it here that you're organizing, sharing, you're taking notes on web pages, PDFs, videos, and podcasts. Um, what does this actually look like on a tangibly, like, I guess your ideal user, why would they be like, Oh man, if only I had Mindstone or, or what would it look like if they, if they finally started using it? Yeah. So, um, Part of this kind of stems from a from a very personal use case to start with, and obviously, kind of some of the stuff that I just talked about before. We're only we've only been going for a year, so some of this will be coming down the line. But at the moment, 
we all in in an industry that relies a lot on information and i think many of the the western world kind of profitable industries today will rely on treating a lot of information as basically reading stuff trying to figure out how it relates to my day-to-day -day job digesting it and making decisions based on it that's a big part of many people's jobs today um, but anything i read kind of goes in a vacuum today if you were to ask me um what what is the best piece of information you read in the education space over the last six months it's going to be really hard to answer that question or if it's about um, how do productivity and learning combine or relate to each other there's a bunch of stuff that i will have read about it uh, but actually getting back to it and getting back to the important bits is really hard because i will have read it and then moved on from it so what we have built is basically a platform that allows you to look at any piece of information online, whether it is an article, a blog post, a podcast, or a video. And we allow you to annotate those um, pieces of content in a way that you can get back to them easily later on. So that anything you read when you highlight particular passages, well, you can find your highlights later on. So if you're listening to a podcast and there's a 30 second segment that you think is just particularly pertinent, without mindset, it would be really hard to find that segment again mm -hmm. later on. Um, same for an article. If you're reading it and it's a five page article and there are three paragraphs that are really important or really interesting well you highlight them and then next time you are looking for a particular piece of information uh, mindstone will will basically bring up the highlighted sections they are fully searchable and kind of allow it to go through um, and you can start to cross-reference them so to give you an idea as an entrepreneur building another uh, company now sometimes i have to build a market slide so something that gives you an idea of the possible size of the market that we might be attacking. Um, and that relies on a bunch of numbers that I will have read in different articles, other companies that will have done market sizing exercises. And as I go through, I use Mindstone to read everything at this point. I would highlight the numbers. Um, and then in Mindstone, at any point in time, I can look at, okay, what are all the numbers that I've highlighted that are on resources in the education space that I read in the last six months. And now uh, when I'm building my market sizing slide, I can literally just look at everything I, I read in the last six months, copy them over and done. If I had to do that from memory, it would take quite a while. It would take a few hours basically to try and dig that information back up. The way I handle it is if there's something I don't wanna lose, I'll keep that tab open. And then like two weeks later, I still have, you know, like maybe I had I, my computer restarted and I'm like, oh crap, I have to get that tab back open. I'm not using it, but I need to make sure it's there. And then, you know, naturally you have like the the 30 tabs open on your computer. You know, my wife's like- And then one day it crashes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife's like, do you have a problem? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I can't lose some of these things. And then finally, once I've let go, I'm like, okay, I can finally close this random YouTube video that- <laughs> is not important. So I, what you're talking about is pretty interesting. I love the idea. I was actually just talking to someone the other day who was saying, he was like, man, if only there was like a way to like store, he called them quotables, but like the things that really resonate with you. 
And he's like, how do I store my quotables so that I don't lose track of them? And I was like, someone should do something about that. Um, if only we knew. I could have been like, hey, you need to check out Mindstone. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so that that is that is what we're we're currently trying to build. Um, oh, sorry, that's what we currently have. Um, and so we have a web app at the moment and an iOS app, uh, but more to come. So long term, is this something that you'd want to go the same route of super awesome? I mean, are you growing this thing until maybe a prospective buyer would like to buy it from you? Or is this more legacy in the sense of I kind of see myself dedicating the next chunk of my life to this project? It's more the latter, but that doesn't that doesn't exclude sure. finding a suitor, right? It's just that the optimization point is slightly different. So there was a very conscious choice for me to spend my next however many years in the education space. I think that there is there's so much to be done um, that it just feels like the right place for impact. And, and so that is what we optimize for, impact. If we find someone who wants to do this with us genuinely, and that could amplify the impact that we could have as a team to get there, always open to those, those conversations. Um, I'm not precious about needing to keep control in that way. What I am really precious about is that I specifically started this to try and have an impact. And so mm-hmm. anything that would prevent me from trying to achieve that would, would be counterproductive. Another question on sort of just the innovative process as you're growing this business, what's it looked like to have, um, I guess, collect feedback from your users and let them sort of shape the iterations of the project? The project, Because a lot of times in the entrepreneurial space, a founder has an idea for something. And even when customers or users are saying, oh, I don't really like that piece of it, Often ego gets in the way and the owner says, well, well, I love that part. <laughs> you know, I'm not changing that. So you're a serial entrepreneur. You've done multiple businesses. How do you really nurture a healthy relationship with gathering feedback with your customers and users? So I'd say that there are two aspects to that. Um, one is, it was very unexpected. Actually, it is for us. It has made it easier since COVID. Why? Because um, we have done, at this point, over 400 user interviews through Zoom. It's something that people would never have accepted before because it wasn't part of their day-to-day. And now people are so fine with jumping on a quick Zoom call that we have been able to, to get that conversion rate up, rate up pretty high. We actually have a really nice way of automatically reaching out to two categories of users. One, users that are recent on our platform that are particularly active. So basically the type of user that came to find our platform and they found something of value. We want to speak to those people because we want to understand, wait, where did you come from? And how did you find your value point? Because that, that is something that we want to amplify. Uh, but we also want to talk, and it's much harder, <laughs> talking to the people that came, that tried it, and that mm. never came back. Uh, much harder to speak to those. But we, I speak to about two every week, um, which I think is a really, 
really great way of trying to trying to figure out how these people who initially found something interesting it was in, in it was interestingly enough interesting enough for them to give us their email address and to try out the application for a little bit but somehow didn't deliver on the promise that they thought we had given them or that at least that that uh, they thought they might achieve with us mm-hmm. um, so first off actually putting a process in place where you reach out to people and genuinely make time to talk to them that's the baseline um, second is that then the way that I've found and the way that we're doing this at, at Mindstone is to to get really opinionated co-founders <laughs> the best way to try and avoid building something that is just about yourself is surrounding yourself with people that can definitely tell you when you're full of it <laughs> um, and so by sharing the user interviews everyone has the data everyone sees what's happening and then whenever I go down a path that might seem too easy based on my um, pre-established logic on how we think we should be building it there will be other people that pull me back as like, no, no, I don't think that is actually what's being said here. Um, I think there's something else. And most of the time we can actually reach back out. How do you get comfortable with that? Because it's, it's hard, right? To have something that you envision, you envision what it is, what it should look like, and not just to have customers who don't buy or don't use it, um, but to also have coworkers who say, basically, you're wrong. How do you get comfortable with having those conversations? So it depends on what you are, what you value most. And so I've over time kind of gotten to the point where what I value most is learning myself. One of the key reasons I wanted to do this as well is that I, I wanted to fail more. Why? Because failing is the fastest way to, to learning. Um, so long as you go around it in a, fairly methodical way, you know, in a, res- a reflective way. And so I actually see someone calling me out on a mistake I made or that I'm about to make as the ultimate sign of respect. Because it's very easy, especially, obviously, as a second time founder, having done it before, it's actually much easier to just follow and say, okay, well, we'll just do what what he says mm-hmm. um, but it is much more valuable to challenge it because at the end of the day if I cannot convince you that it's actually the right thing then there's either something wrong with the way I understand the thing or it's just wrong entirely and we shouldn't be doing it in the first place mm. it's, it's definitely a check to the ego I think to be willing to take those sorts of insights and uh, you're giving, you're giving a really um, I think what you're saying is challenging to all of us, but especially the founders who are listening, who have been slow to surround themselves with those kinds of people. Cause it's easy, I think to not be self-aware to lie to ourselves. And when we get that contrasting feedback to say, Oh no, you, you just didn't get it. <laughs> you just didn't understand it rather than embracing the fact, no, they do understand it. It just isn't as, amazing as maybe you think it is so correct and to a degree if you're getting that pushback or if somebody else is not understanding it there are two ways of looking at that 
you can look at it as in, as in in a way that they don't understand it, or you can look at it in a way that you as a founder who is supposed to know everything about this somehow doesn't understand it well enough to be able to really convince the person in front of you. So that's another opportunity for you to try and figure out how can I improve my understanding? I love how you frame that. I think you're so right. And like I said, it's, it's, it is, I think that's part of, you know, when we talk about like entrepreneurship, we talk a lot about getting good at sales, getting good at these things that I think that are um, towards the surface, so to speak, they're easy to grab onto, but there's definitely this nuance to what you're talking about. These things that are a bit deeper down and a bit more complex, like navigating feedback with people that you're working with. Um, Josh, we are out of time today. What is next for Mindstone? What, what, for people listening, um, I'm sure you want them to go check out the website at mindstone.com. What, what, what's next? So, uh, as I mentioned at the moment, we are, we are at the stage where basically you can use it for your own, the content that you find on, on the internet. But somewhere in the next few months, we're going to start, um, start launching pathways. Basically, think about being able to put together the best 20 podcasts, articles, and videos on a particular topic, say Economics 101. And you come up with a pathway that helps people based on content that's available online, that helps people get mm -hmm. the learning. Wow. Okay. From all of that that's pretty exciting so that, that's where we're headed and i'm really really excited about that i think that could make a, a big impact yeah because i think i think like you mentioned we're living in a day where all the information you need is available but for me personally when i'm trying to learn something um coding for example if it's something i've never done before the where do I start question is hard to answer. And then even once I have that, what's the next step? Like what's the next step of my learning journey is really hard to know. So that pathways uh, feature sounds really intriguing. Yeah. And the, what we want to get to is that any, anyone will be able to create them and anyone will be able to consume them. So just like, on YouTube, you have a bunch of people that create videos and many more that actually just watch them. The idea is that anyone that wants to use our platform to build a pathway will be able to do so without us getting in the way. <laughs> and then other people will be able to, to follow the pathways they create. So I'm really excited about that. Well, I think around the time this episode goes live, this that might actually be already up and running. We'll see. Um, but for our listeners, definitely check out mindstone.com and maybe it'll be backslash pathways. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll add the link with whatever it is down in the description below uh, once it's live for you guys to check out. Josh, it's been great having you on the show today. I so appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. For our listeners, like I mentioned, I'm going to put the link to mindstone.com down in the episode description below. 
Also, hey, if you are enjoying the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button and make sure you're following the podcast. You can keep getting good advice and listening to great guests like Josh. Also, if you really enjoy the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash good advice, where you can support the podcast. You can even get your business advertised on an episode of the Good Advice podcast in our introduction. Again, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash good advice. Hey, cheers. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you later. See ya.